Hello there, my name is Thomas and welcome to the latest episode of British Culture Albion Never Dies. It's back in Britain. Nine. Nine already. We're at nine. Um, I've been here for a little bit, just uh, just a few months. I arrived, I guess, late March um, back in the UK after living abroad for seven years and I hadn't visited for three or four years. Um, so I just thought I'd make this series just to track my my return because often I've gone to other countries. I lived in Turkish Cyprus for seven years. I lived in China for six years. I've worked in Saudi Arabia. I've worked in Oman. And I've visited so many times, and I'm just used to rolling around the globe. That I thought I'd track my own kind of reactions coming back to the UK. A friend of mine, an American, was asking me actually earlier today. He sent me a message. Hey, how are you adapting? Um, he was finding it difficult because he spent so much of his life in East Asia, returned to the US, and he's finding it difficult to adjust for myself. I seem to have escaped, but then again, I've been pretty busy. Uh, so the first episode back in Britain 1, I was just talking about coming back. Episode 2, I was meeting up with some friends. It was kind of a, a pub chat. Um, and then 3, I had a job already by the third episode because I came back to the UK without a job, just kind of on a prayer, rarely, that I'd find something. I did have a friend recommending me for jobs, but, you know, even so, even so, somebody sending you helpful links, you know, looking around by yourself as well, of course. Um, but it worked out, you know, I interviewed for a job, I got the job relatively quickly, which um, was a big relief, um, <laughs> almost celebratory, I was able to go down to London to meet uh, Pete Brooker from Tales of Love, Daniel Gaster, uh, Z from Time of the Day, and British Bond addict uh, Chris, and... That was fantastic. That was a great day out. Um, episode 5, back in Britain 5, I talked about the UK and the US and some differences. I'd spent quite a few months in California. I had initially thought maybe I'd settle there, but oh, too many problems with the visa. Um, already the big problem that I put in all the stuff I should do and I'm still waiting for some kind of answer. Uh, married to an American, speak, yeah. Speak some languages, um, got a couple of degrees, a couple of postgraduate diplomas, lots of experience, and nope, they're still thinking about it after all this time. So I did a UK versus US uh, episode, um, and then I did a few, a couple more slice of life episodes, including the Queen's Golden Jubilee. So now, now what am I doing? Well, I've got the job, um, my wife has come to join me soon, and of course that means I need to move out of my friend's <laughs> front room, find a place for all of myself, um, so that we don't take over his house as a family. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm searching and searching and searching for homes, and there's, there was a housing shortage even a few years ago, and then over the last two years, you know, people haven't been building new homes, so there's a real shortage, and I've had a crazy, crazy time, and sometimes I've, I've mentioned that of, you know, one place was really terrible, and you had to kind of fix it up whilst you were renting. I mean, if it was free rent I was fixing up, maybe. And if it was your own home to fix up whilst you were there, okay. Uh, but paying rent to fix up somebody else's property is outrageous. <laughs> and there was another place I could rent it for six months, completely unfurnished, furnish it, show people around because they really want to sell it. So you're literally trying to sell this place that you're renting, which means that you'll be moving on. You'll be kicked out of the place if you're successful. <laughs> So there have been so many crazy, crazy um, little rules, but there you go, right now it's, a, it's the landlord's market, not the renters, and I'm just looking for a little flat to rent in this uh, little little village uh, where where my company is, so 
yeah, working on that in earnest. Um, so that means I haven't done my usual round of interesting, exciting things, or yeah, going out to little villages and going to things like the Howarth 1940s weekend. I haven't been doing too much of that, um, but I did get out and see the special screening of 1977, The Spy Who Loved Me. So lots of UK cinemas are showing the classic Bond films right now. Uh, I guess we're coming up to the 60th anniversary uh, of Doctor No being released, and so the cinemas are showing kind of one old Bond film a week, slowly building up to that. Um, of course, The Spy Who Loved Me was the third Bond film with Roger Moore, and it was his favourite, and it was really interesting to watch it because it was the first Bond film where they'd really completely run out of Fleming material. I mean, they diverted from it, they changed it, you know, You Only Live Twice, for example, has very little to do with the book, but they had cherry-picked a few ideas, names, locations, and so on, um, and didn't share much of the, the DNA of the book. Um, in fact, I'd say uh, the latest Bond film is much more in common with the book than the film that shares the same name, but The Spy Who Loved Me, they really, really did... I know, start anew, and I think it works wonderfully, but this film was the one that really made the case for a purely cinematic Bond, rather than just adaptations or loose adaptations or inspired by. It's, it was a fresh start. Um, and interestingly, a friend of mine, <laughs> possibly influenced by me, uh, went through all the old Bond films, you know, and he detected, even not knowing much about the series, not having read the books, he said, this is where it felt like they didn't have source material because it was just written like a big spectacular film. So I'm really glad I was able to see it on the big screen. It felt very, very cinematic and it's, you know, it's a film I'd only previously seen on, you know, Saturday afternoon TV or, you know, eventually got the DVDs and stuff. So it was really cool just to see it on a big screen. Most interesting to me was the fact that whilst there weren't a huge number of people going, it was a big range of ages. Uh, For example, a couple of young lads going along who... I'm kind of surprised because there's been a lot of talk in the Bond community about how you know, lots of people get into Bond because they watched it with their dads. Yeah, I watched it with my family. And these days, you know, with the Daniel Craig films, you're not going to show that to children. Yeah, the Roger Moore films you can grow up on as a child, but you're not going to grow up on the Daniel Craig films, I think. Uh, they're a bit too dark, brooding an adult. Um, so lots of people have questioned whether there'd be like a missing generation if, if basically we're aging out of Bond, um, and there's been no video games or anything like that, because, uh, I mean, it's been, I think, a decade in which the video game industry has been outstripping the film industry in terms of, you know, revenue, uh, and I think a lot of the really bright creative people are going into video games and video game writing instead of movies, because it's where you can now tell a story in a big cinematic uh, story, and story that... You know, can break new ground and have an impact. You know, it's no longer Mario. You get these really, really interesting stories on the on the latest consoles. Um, so I think films are really losing out uh, to gaming platforms. Um, so it's interesting. No new games uh, when there has been a whole generation brought into Bond through the N64. Anyway, anyway, I find it so interesting to see that there was an age range, um, you know, to this movie, and it was perfect for the big screen. It was really cool to see it. Great soundtrack. Great pretty visuals even now i don't know especially yeah i have to say it some of those stunts were amazing especially you know it's not cgi you know they can't have wires digitally painted out it all has to be done for real you know that opening ski chase um with olympic skiers and so on it looks fantastic anyway that was one of my uh, joys this week 
the other uh, another big event at Bradford Cathedral which was installing a new dean. The dean of a cathedral is, you know, the ecumenical boss. Um, and Bradford's, Bradford's a really interesting one. It was, it was a parish church before. I mean, it's the church that has been a Christian worship there for over a thousand years. And uh, like many of these old churches, it's been built up and built up. And it became a cathedral, um, I think, in the 20th century. But retained its status as a parish church so the dean of bradford is also the vicar the incumbent of the parish um so it's a really interesting kind of service and ceremony um, and it's a city occasion so it's not just the you know it's not just the church of england congregation that go along it's also representatives of the mayor it's the lord lieutenant who is the um He's the Queen's representative here in West Yorkshire. You know, when the Queen comes here, he arranges her schedule, uh, he hosts, um, and he can stand, you know, come into public events in place of the Queen. Um, he had members of other faith communities. So he had representatives from the Jewish community and from the Muslim community. So as I say, it's a really big city occasion. Um, and I think there's three parts to it. First of all, um, the Dean gets licensed um, he then gets inducted uh, by the archdeacon, so he has the authority to exercise the, the necessary legal responsibilities, and then he's installed, he's, <laughs> he's put into the store, the special seat where the dean sits, so you always know where to find him. <laughs> so yeah, during, during the services he sits in, and some of this is beautiful kind of wood woodwork, it's Tudor woodwork, dating back 500 years it's beautiful beautiful carvings and you can check out bradford cathedral's instagram page and uh their youtube and so on it is a beautiful cathedral that's been kind of built and built and built over time um and it was a fantastic service a big celebration like i said big city celebration with choirs and people contributing to the music from from all over the country actually one of the choirs came all the way from bath um as well as the bradford cathedral and uh the dean of ripon and so on so as i say it's a, a big ecclesiastical event and the cathedral was absolutely packed um so yeah, those were my those were my two big events um just a just a busy little weekend and the rest of it, i've just been hunting for homes so i don't have any crazy stories about that because uh well, I'm just checking the app Right Move a huge amount and Zoopla and there's a couple of other apps as well, smaller ones. Um, just keep checking them because, you know, I've even wandered into, um, you know, estate agents and, and tried to talk to them face to face the old fashioned way, but they're like, we're too busy. Please just check the app. As soon as something comes up, it's on the app and they're just too busy looking around and showing people around. Um, then again, a friend of mine was volunteering at a charity shop, so I just popped down just to see him, have a coffee. And uh, the ladies there were, like, uh, telling me about this uh, tiny little agency um, that I'd never heard of, hadn't really found online in any of my searches. They told me, gave me a phone number, rang. The lady was really helpful, just didn't have anything. Like I said, it's a crazy, crazy market right now. So uh, looking around a few places this week, fingers crossed I can find something. And as I say, short podcast this week because <laughs> it's really been... Uh, I say a hectic week in terms of looking for places to live, um, but not much to talk about in terms of British culture. I'm looking forward to being settled in a place, spending a bit of time on my research. A few people have said, oh, you don't need to spend so much time on research, just, just give your own personal views from your own experience. But you know what? I enjoy the research. It's a big part of what I do. Um, I really enjoy it. I work for an academic publishing company, you know, I, I, and one of the benefits of the job is I get my hands on all this academic research. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, as I say, I'm 
Looking forward to being settled. This feels like the final furlong. If I can just make this hurdle, uh, then finally I can settle in. And uh, I might come back to these Back in Britain series. Um, there's definitely another episode coming. Hopefully an episode coming soon, say I've moved in. Uh, after that, I can get into some of those deep dives again. Maybe a couple of interviews. I've got a few people who say they're willing, but I just don't have the time. Um, but I'm really looking forward. I say just to, just to being settled. Um, so yeah. It's back in Britain 9. I hope you enjoyed that very, very quick chat. And, uh, yeah, I'll check in next week and uh, I'll tell you how it went. Thank you very much for listening. See you later.